Heavenly Father, you have given us your word, and you still speak through your words. And I pray this morning that we would not simply perceive the sounds that come from this pulpit as the mouth of man, but that it would be from your mouth. It would be speech that would resonate with our heart by the very working of the Holy Spirit, words from you that would come alive. Lord, I ask that you would remove the sound of Phil Stogner and that we would hear you, Father, speak, even as we would hear Jesus speak to us for your servants are listening. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, We began last week to look at Psalm 19 as the sounds of God's glory. And this is a series where we have said that the angels appeared to the shepherds. And there they said, glory be to God in the highest. And the shepherd's response was to go and to see where this glory of God lay. And there they found it. Not because Jesus Christ in a manger was glowing, as some uh, art, historic church art, has him almost with a halo over his head. It was an ordinary baby who cooed and who was fed and who made baby sounds and messes, but it wasn't an ordinary baby. It was the promised child. And as the angels had foretold, they perceived there the glory of God. That means the honor of God, God's big doings in a baby. The completing of his promise in bringing us himself, the Messiah, the promised king. And they left seeing the glory of God in a child to give glory to God by sharing that good news with others. Really, they were radioactive from having seen God's great gift, knowing even elementary that in entering into such humble circumstances, that he was entering as the promised salvation, but there would be a battle ahead. This morning, we're going to look at the second part of Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. As last week we looked and we saw how all of nature, all of creation, all of the earth gives glory to God. Uh, Another way to define giving glory to God is making much of him. Creation makes much of God. Creation says God is a big deal. But also, God's own words shout to us that God is glorious. God's word is his glory because it brings him glory, because it glorifies the life the words, the deeds, the fame, all of the actions of our Lord, Jesus. 
Um, just a, I want to take just a moment of personal privilege having the bully pulpit here. Um, on Thursday of this week, R.C. Sproul, theologian, pastor, uh, Bible teacher, uh, died. He passed away. And I had the, the privilege of serving with R.C. Sproul as a church planter when I was in Florida. And he had moved and relocated his Legionnaire Ministries to Orlando. And whenever a man, a pastor, comes into the presbytery, he shares his testimony. And R.C. Sproul, and I mean, he's famous. He had a huge cassette tape ministry. That's, I know some of you have never even seen those. But uh, he had a huge tape ministry. He, was, uh, he had made a claim through two books, Chosen by God and uh, The Holiness of God. He was early on experimenting with media such as uh, video recording, his seminars, his teaching. He was starting conferences, and here he's asked on the floor of Presbyterian to stand and share his story of how he had become a Christian. And he said that he went to a Christian college not because he was a Christian, but because he went on a football scholarship. And he and a classmate, one evening, because it was a dry college campus and community, they went to a border town, they were going to go to a border town to buy beer and to have a night on the town. But as they were getting ready to leave, he wanted, he was out of cigarettes. He was a lucky strike smoker. And he said, you know, let's go through... The campus area, now this, is, this shows you uh, how long ago it was, because there in the canteen, in the vending machines, they sold cigarettes. You couldn't drink, but you could buy cigarettes. And so he was there at the vending machine to get his lucky strikes to go out on a bender when the captain of the football team called him and his buddy over to the table, and they began a conversation. And he says, I who wanted nothing to do with Christianity, was taken captive. And I was amazed that for the next three hours, he shared his faith in Christ with me and my buddy. And he said, when I left, my life was changed He said he shared with me a passage out of Ecclesiastes that was, quote, where a tree falls, then there it rots. And he said, I took that, the Word of God, to represent my life and where I was headed. And later he made a joke of it, and he said, I think I was the only person, he said, I'm the only person that I've ever met that was converted by that verse. But the point is, he didn't give credit, he didn't give, he doesn't even mention the name of the captain of the football team. He was just a messenger. But what he was carrying 
was the message, was the Word of God. And the Word of God was powerful. It was powerful. It changed his life. And in the time that remains, I want to look at seven characteristics of how the Word of God is operational in the Christian life. How the words of God are not just words on a page, but they bring glory to God because they are God. They're God operating through His words in our life. And so, if you have sermon notes, don't hold me exactly to them. Uh, But I want to look, there are at least seven operational words. Some uh, folks look and they see many, many more uh, characteristics. But I see primarily seven. And if you begin with verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And that can also mean converting the soul. And Moses found this to be true back in Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, Moses has just left Israel who have worshipped. God has delivered them out of Egypt, got them through miraculously the Red Sea. They are now approaching the border of the Promised Land for the first time. He goes up to the mountain to get God's Word. And then as he comes down, he hears a noise like war in the camp, and they're worshiping a golden idol. Moses, God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise by continuing to let you guys go forward, but I can't go with you. I can't be with you. I'll I'll break out and destroy all of you. And Moses says, Lord, I I don't want to lead this people without you going with us. Lord, I'm tired. This is my paraphrase. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. But Lord, they're sheep. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And what Moses saw was what he heard. Moses was told that God couldn't show himself in his blinding glory and live. Because being a sinful man, the holiness and the full radiance of God would just melt him. But he said, I will hide you in the cleft of a rock and I will show you who I am. And what he does is... The Lord, in verse 6, passed before him and proclaimed, spoke, gave him words. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
And then Moses' response to seeing by hearing God's glory. How do you know that God is revealing Himself in the Word? Look at your response. If your life is spiritually dull, it's not because the Bible is dull. It's because of a failure to avail ourselves of seeing God in His very Word today. And having that encounter, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. That's giving glory to God. He sees by hearing God's glory, it revives him in worship. It revives his soul. Oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And God says to a revived Moses, revived by God's word, I will and I shall. Secondly, look at verse 7. The second part of that, it makes wise the simple. And I won't take a lot of time here, but the Magi, as I said earlier, were not kings from far Orient. They were astrologers. The word Magi is the word that we get magicians from. And it's not to say that they engaged in the dark arts, but they weren't Christians. They were not Jewish. Some say they were Persians from the east, but most say they were Babylonians. But they were Babylonian astrologers who had, who were magi, who had as their one of their ancient authors, Balaam. Remember Balaam? Back in the book of Kings, Balaam's ass. Balaam was a magi. God would speak through Balaam at one point, but Balaam was an astrologer. And Balaam had made a forecast that one day, one day, God will send, He will come Himself, He will descend to earth, and you will know it when the, sun, when the star ascends When a unique star ascends and appears, you will know that to be the sign that he's come. These ancient magi had Balaam's prophecy, God's word. It wasn't simply a sign of a star that they followed, but it was God's word that they followed. And we give these magi credit as wise men. The book of James, the brother of Christ, says that if any man or woman lacks or wants for wisdom, then let him ask. How will that wisdom come? God will answer again, not with a vision of clarity. Now I see. And oh, dear ones, I pray so much for clarity. But the way that it's going to come, it's going to come as God's Word literally speaks to your mind and your heart. In other words, don't simply look for a sign or an open door. Look for wisdom, even as the Magi did, in God's Word. And then you'll be able to associate an open door in keeping with God's Word. Third, verse 8. 
God's Word, another operational, rejoices the heart. And notice there's a flow here. That God begins by reviving or converting our heart again. That word could be used just like R.C. Sproul's experience with God's Word. It could be used to convert us. It also can be used to revive us. And then it leads to wisdom, but then it leads to joy. Verse 8 says that the heart will take great joy. It will rejoice when it hears God's Word. A good way to, to experience this is to look throughout the Scriptures and begin to take note or highlight the promises that appear in your regular Bible study, the promises, and to claim those as your, for yourself, for they are for you. You're a people with a promised inheritance, and our heart can take joy in the suffering that we face now, or the humbling trials or circumstances now, that there is a day, there is a day, an eternal day that is far longer than the vapor of the life that we have now that we will abide in eternal rest and peace and joy with our God. There are many, many more promises that can be taken for day-to-day living, not simply a promised future. But all of these are that we might be able from God's Word to take joy. Even if it's one of the most... uh, One of the, the verses that I give a lot to people that are in trial is this. It's a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Just to know, just to know that in whatever you're facing, you're not facing it alone. Jesus is a shepherd who never abandons the sheep. And God can give purpose to trial. That's also there, that we can actually take joy when we face trial because we're being treated as his children, shaped even by suffering in our faith and our obedience to be more Christ-like. Verse 8b, enlightening the eyes. In Ephesians, we read in verse 18 of chapter 1 in Ephesians that having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now this is language to say that in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, that there was a day when you were in the dark. There was a day when the eyes of your heart was not looking for God at all, and you could not perceive Him. There was a day that you could read the Word of God, and it would just make no sense to you at all. It was the act of God, through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that came to us with dead eyes, and He enlightened us. He illuminated us. He turned a light on. And now, to read God's Word and to see Jesus, that's as a supernatural act as it was in our conversion. It still sustains us. God's Word is not something that we began 
when we were a Christian. We heard, and thank you, Elder John Hildreth, for sharing your testimony. John, this morning, during the Sunday school time, the Sunday school gathering, shared his testimony. Before that, Aaron Killenbeck had shared his testimony. Others have shared their testimony, and as they do so, the thing they come back to as the igniter, the light coming on, was with God's Word. Now, God's Word, the law that He is referring to, is all of God's words. God's words can be contained even in the Scripture that we commit to memory. It's not necessarily with a friend or associate open up God's Word and reading from it, but it may be something that is on our heart that we give back to them by quoting or even paraphrasing. But it's God's Word alone and not our words that will enlighten the eyes. But He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, we pray that I, when I sit down to have my Bible study, the first thing that I do is I pray. And I normally write that prayer out, and it will go something like this. Lord, I'm coming to you this morning, and I'm dull. Let me see. Open my eyes, just as you did the first time, that I might see you in the Scriptures. And... I might see myself. There's a self, I mean, it's a humbling prayer because I'm saying, Lord, I don't tend to see myself so well. When I read about the Pharisees, I tend to see Pharisees. I don't see Pharisee Phil. Lord, not only let me see you, but let me see my sin. Let me see myself. It still is an ongoing work even as it was at the point of our salvation through God's Word, to now that as Christians we see and we interpret led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, God's Word endures forever. I won't say a lot about this, but if it endures forever, it's along those same lines as I was just saying, we're ever learners of God's Word. We're forever Forever, that means eternity. Even in eternity, in eternity we'll be given a greater capacity. Right now there's a finiteness about our mind. I can't learn a foreign language because I'm too old and I don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity. It's a little too crowded to learn a foreign language. But now... And in heaven, we will ever be learning about the glory and the depths and the majesty and the work and the character of God forever. Are you learning now? Because the Word endures. Are you enduring with the Word? What What does your time with the Word look like? Do you approach it and maybe read just customarily and check a box? Are you reading like a hungry disciple, a student, humbled by the fact that you don't know everything, humbled by the fact that you need wisdom? I'm not going to be self-reliant. I'm going to base it on this wisdom. I need reviving. I need enlightening. I need joy. 
And I'm not looking to another, but I'm looking to here, and this endures now and forever. So it's not just simply that I'm a part of a group or uh, a Bible study and I'm looking at the Word there, but it's something that I'm going to endure with an enduring Word. God has spoken, is speaking, and will always speak by His Word. Where am I in association with that? Another characteristic. It's desired. And it's sweeter than anything else. One commentator, Trapp, says, Old people are all for profit, the young for pleasure. Here's gold for one, yea, the finest gold in great quantity. Here's honey for the other, yea, like honey dripping from the comb. Some of us are coming to God's Word for a particular need or want. The Psalms are great for anxiety and depression. And we're coming to to profit from that. Trial. Others... We're in a season of life that we come to God's Word for pleasure. All the beauties, all the, 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 the wonder of hearing God's steadfast love for us. All the promises. And, and it's sweet. It's like honey, and it does taste different. That comes closer to the honeycomb. It has a, it's not a waxy taste. It may be a little bit wilder taste, but it does taste to me sweeter. I remember as a little boy that we would take, we would take the honeycomb and we would cut a piece of the honeycomb and we would chew the honey out of that and we would continue to chew that honey wax like chewing gum. Eugene Peterson in his, the message said, the words, these are the words in my mouth. These are what I chew on and pray. If something's sweet to us, we take it in. And we experience the sweetness of it. Gold is something that you, you mine. And you hold on to. You count it. You, you safeguard it. How do you treat God's Word? Again, it's not about just checking a box but it's looking at this and saying, man, this is, this is precious stuff, and it's sweet. This is where I find sweetness for life. This is where I find profit, like gold for my life. How do you see it right now? What season are you in? And then lastly, in verse 11, God's Word, it warns us, but it also warns us with a promise of a reward, not condemnation. I find that quite wonderful. Moreover, by them, God's Word, your servant, Christians, is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. He doesn't say, obey or else. He doesn't say, do this as a law, to keep the law and obey, or else I'm going to condemn you. 
He says, no, don't forfeit the prize. Don't forfeit the crown. Don't forfeit the reward. And the Word itself, because it is God. We read in John's Gospel, in his narrative of the coming of the King, we read of no stable, we read of no shepherds, no angels, we read of God's Word, capital D-O-R-D. We read of Jesus as God's Word in the flesh, come full of grace and truth. Here's, here's the test. Do you see Jesus in God's Word? Charles Spurgeon wrote this about God's Word. Oh, how clearly the Word of God sets Christ before us. It is a sort of mirror in which He is revealed. For you see, Christ is up in the heaven, and a poor sinner down on earth cannot see Him no matter how long He looks. But this, the Word of the Lord, is like a looking glass to see Him. There is scarcely one chapter, now think, from Genesis, Genesis 1 to Revelation. Can you see Christ in your Bible study in God's Word? There is scarcely one chapter in which Christ is not more or less clearly set forth as the Savior of sinners. So the Word of God, you see, shows the man that he is in the wrong takes him away from wrong ways of trying to get right, and then he puts him in the way to get right, namely, by believing in Jesus that he now sees. We have on the information table, we have a number of copies. It's called a five-by-five reading plan. And I would encourage you to go ahead and uh, not only pick up one of these, but begin now and not simply wait until January the 1st. But we would encourage you, the shepherds would encourage you in two rivers to be sons and daughters who love God as you see Him in His Word. So that in the course of the year, as Lucy would say to Aslan, Aslan, I haven't seen you in a while, and you seem so much bigger. And Aslan would say, my child, from now on, every time you see me, I will grow larger. A people at two rivers that we're we're experiencing an eyesight that is growing of how large and glorious our King is. All from the Word. A Word that we desire like food. A Word because in it we see Jesus. I'll end with this. Charles Spurgeon 
because of his struggles with depression, took regular, and also he struggled with gout, uh, physical illness, uh, enabling him to even at times walk, certainly without, he had to have a cane. But he would go to Menton, France. And one time he was in Menton, France, and a good friend met him there. And they were in the hotel lobby restaurant. And there at the table as they sat for supper was a huge, brightly colored bouquet of flowers. And he said, the smell in midwinter of these fresh flowers was overwhelming. And the beauty in that restaurant of these flowers was splendid but he said I took that vase of flowers and I moved them to another table because I couldn't see fully the face of my friend and he would go on and build on that story and say sermons can be like so many vases of, or vases of, of flowers. Christian books can be so many splendid, wonderful smelling flowers. But to see clearly the face of Jesus, we are people, once again, of the book. We are followers of God's Word. We are immersing ourselves in God's Word even as we immerse ourselves in the Lord. So much so that as we read, we can see Jesus in this. Our Jesus. How can you give glory to God? By seeing His glory. Where will you see His glory? You'll see it and hear it from His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would lead us like this psalmist. You would lead us like this psalmist, that when we hear your word preached, proclaimed, read, cited, when we read it for ourselves, that we would hear it as coming from the very mouth of Jesus, and that you would strengthen our heart's eyes to see Jesus as ours and we as his by the power of the gospel where we read in your word that you have put your steadfast love upon us, demonstrated it by the work and death of Jesus Christ on the cross such that our sins are forgiven and now as your sons and daughters you continue to strengthen us and lead us all the way home. So lead us, Father. Strengthen us. Increase our desire for your word, even as we desire your son Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.